Hey everybody, welcome to the In All Things podcast. It's time to see God in everything. All right, what's going on everybody? Welcome to the second episode of the In All Things podcast. My name is Mitch Frost and I'm here with Steve Markle. What's going on? Hey man, good to be here today. Excited about episode two. Episode two. So we just came off of Labor Day weekend and we are recording this on September 8th. Um, And so... What what'd you do this weekend? How Labor Day it? weekend. I did some of the same things you did. It was part of the uh, Brock Strong Foundation Labor Day tournament, which mm-hmm. has been going on now for seven years. And so was able to volunteer, but also coach my son's baseball team in that tournament. And we had a blast. And it's a great, great cause. And I know you're part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. That's like the biggest thing that they do kind of all year, right? Well, they do a lot of all wise, year, but though. it's their biggest fundraiser of the yeah. year. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so I was involved in that on Saturday and Sunday, right. a lot of those days was yes. spent there. Yes. Um, and then besides that, um, I saw a movie this weekend on Monday. Um, I guess that wasn't the weekend, but it counts uh, it for this weekend. It is part of this weekend, yeah, Labor Day. I saw the new Marvel movie on Monday, so that was pretty good. Um, oh, yeah, about movies, I did listen to you guys, and I watched the trailer for the Spider-Man movie. Okay, thoughts? Oh, man, I'm actually going to go watch this. Maybe now on Christmas Day okay. when it comes out, but I'm looking forward to that, yeah. Yep. All right, so um, one thing that I definitely want to talk about as we get started today, because by the time this podcast comes out, um, we will have passed the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So when that happened, I was like two, uh, so I can't really speak to it in terms of what that day looked like for me. Um, But obviously, I grew up going to school, being in history classes, um, where we obviously talked about it and watched documentaries and and did all those kinds of things. And there's 29 years difference between you and me. Um, and so I thought it would be interesting to kind of start today's episode just talking about your experience with it, um, what you remember from that day 20 years ago, and then I'll kind of fill in what I've learned about it um, because it, you know, we're coming from very different angles. So. Yeah, it is really interesting to hear from somebody your age and your perspective on it because it's easy for people my age to forget that you guys don't really have a perspective like those of us that were living it. So I, I was a youth pastor at that time at a church in Northern Virginia, which was interesting because we were just 20 minutes outside of D.C. and a large number of people in our congregation worked at the Pentagon. And so it was a Tuesday morning and we were in the middle of staff meeting, actually just starting staff meeting. And I remember one of our church members came bursting into our meeting and said that the Pentagon had been hit. And we were like, what are you talking about? And they are like, a plane. And so we immediately ended staff meeting. We all went um, back to where there was a TV, turned the TV on, started watching news coverage. And, and at first, you know, the idea was, was this an accident? What happened? And, and I was just watching. There's so many shows that have been coming out just in the last couple of weeks, just recounting all that happened with 9-11. But I, I was just th- re- realizing that some people actually thought when the first tower was hit, it was an accident. And then when the second one was hit, they knew for real that we were under attack. But anyway, I remember that mo- that meeting and being interrupted and the panic that we all felt. And immediately, the first thing you want to do is like call your family. And I remember trying to get a hold of my wife and finding her and and then, you know, starting to try to call other people and the phones were jammed, couldn't get, couldn't make very many phone calls, couldn't get through. It was before everybody was uh, using cell phones all the time. So it was a it was a scary day. It was a panic day and I remember just sitting there glued to the news wondering what we were supposed to do next. And so that night getting home, being with family, you just kind of wondered 
you know, are we, are we safe? What's going to happen? That was on a Tuesday. And then um, Wednesday, went back to work at church, and we decided um, to have a Wednesday night prayer service. The place was packed. It was unbelievable how, how that was. Everybody just wanted some, some comfort, some peace. And uh, all of us, are, of course, were glued to the news, wondering what's happening, wondering how the world's going to change now. And obviously, um, it changed a lot. And being that many people in our church worked in the Pentagon, we didn't lose anybody. We didn't have anybody in our church that actually was killed in the in the attack. But a lot of people's lives were severely affected. A lot of people, we, we were very close to Fort Belvoir, which is an army post. And a lot of people that went to our church uh, were in the military and, and lived there. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is before that, I could drive just like anybody else onto Fort Belvoir and go see people in our church. And now, um, as soon as that happened, everything changed. Mm-hmm. You had to get checked. Your whole car had to be checked. It was uh, very difficult to get onto any military in, in any military base after that. But anyway, um, you know, the next few days and weeks were very challenging figuring it out. That next Sunday was like Easter at church. Everybody came to church. Everybody mm-hmm. wanted to be encouraged. Everybody wanted to have the comfort of knowing um, about God and knowing where God was and all that. And, you know, like we're talking about in our podcast, uh, in all things, it was kind of that moment where people's lives changed drastically and they wanted to know, you know, what God had to say, what comfort they could get from the Bible and from being in a worship service. Yeah. Um, and I I hope I'm not misremembering you telling me this, but um, hopefully I'm not thinking of somebody else because that would be awkward. But right. you did go to the the area where it happened to help in, in the days afterwards, right? Yes. It's a good story and a kind of funny story. Um, so like within two weeks of of it happening, um, back when fax machines were a big thing, our church got a fax and there was a group that was going from the DC area up to New York City and they were inviting pastors or any church leaders to, to ride on a bus up there to do relief work. Mm-hmm. So me and two other staff members were like, let's do this. There was a bus ride, they were providing transportation and a hotel, and it was going up on a Friday, coming back on a Saturday night. So we'd be back for Sunday. And this was just a, like a week and a half after it had happened. And so um, we met at a parking lot, got on this bus, and about halfway up to New York, um, we found figured out that this was kind of part of a cult and I won't say who it was, but they started showing us videos, and we're like, "Oh my! Oh gosh. crap! We got to figure out how to get out of this." Okay. We're on this. Uh, it's like five-hour drive to New York City. So, anyway, and when we got there, we decided we pack a uh, pack. It was actually four of us. We decided that we were going to go up to the leader of this group and say, um, "Thanks for the ride, but we're not going to be part of what you guys are doing." Mm. They really weren't there to do relief work. They were there to have a meeting. Wow! And they it was a whole scam. So we got off off of the bus. And we were standing there, right there across from Madison Square Garden. And I remember the four of us guys, we just prayed, said, God, show us where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do. And we saw a hotel, went over, and we were able to, to get a room. And then we like said, okay, we need something to eat, but we're going to pray God lead us. Because we didn't come here just to get in a hotel in you know New York City. So we prayed, and we started walking down the street. And I'll never forget, it was I don't remember the name of the church, but there was a sign for a church. That sounded like a non-denominational um, evangelistic church, and we and we saw that their light was on. We went in, 
And we found out, Rosie walked in, they were of like faith, Protestant, and they were that next morning going to be going out taking water bottles to the firefighters on the mm. front lines. And they're like, can we be a part of that? And they're like, we would love to have you. Mm. And it was awesome. So anyway, we got the information. We went and got something to eat and slept. And then we got there first thing in the morning. And we spent that day right along the edge of where like the police line was. And we saw firsthand all the destruction mm-hmm. that had happened. It was a little overwhelming. The firefighters along the edge would come up and take a break and talk to us. We would give them water bottles, just try to encourage them, prayed with some of them. Um, it was it was truly an amazing experience. And we were <laughs> getting to the middle of the afternoon, like, okay, so how do we get home now? Mm-hmm. It's a Saturday afternoon, and so we um, – Found a car rental place, and I was the only one that had a real credit card because car rentals only they don't take debit cards. So I had to uh, rent it and drive um, out of New York City. We drove back home that evening, but it was it was a blessing to be able to do that. And you know, you think about that was just one little thing in, in that that I remember. But mm-hmm. um, it's the big phrase you hear people say: "Never forget," and you just don't. I was watching the news this very morning. And they were in a, a little town in New Jersey that's a suburb of New York City. And just in that one town, 21 people died in the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. And the people that are there, just in tears, just still talking about it. Mm-hmm. And and like there was a girl who was, um, I think she was in her mid-20s now. And she said last thing she remembers of her dad was him coming, standing on the sidelines, watching her play soccer. Mm-hmm. Now she's pregnant with his first grandchild. Wow. And it's just those things, you just... Um, gives you chills when you think about what those people have gone through and how they've lived their lives. And so many people have done good from it. They've made mm-hmm. uh, the best of it. They've created foundations. And, you know, we, we know all about that. But yeah. it's, I think it's important now, at 20 years, that we do look back. We take some time to think about that, and we teach our kids. And uh, obviously your generation and those younger, we continue to teach them about what we experienced that day. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm coming from this – to this with a different perspective completely because I don't remember that day. Um, but I've always, always been taught about it, been right. shown things about it, been, you know, kind of um, taught to know what it is and what happened and all of those things. But I didn't get to experience, I mean, even my older siblings will talk about that day when right. they saw it on TV or um, Davies in the room with us who grew up in Brazil and, and remember seeing it on TV and thinking it was a movie. Um, and so I just, I don't have those memories. Um, myself, but the way that I've kind of grown up going to public school, like every time that this time of year when when classes would start to talk about it, there was just this always idea that it changed everything, um, which is which is crazy to think about. And and for me, you know, I grew up in the generation where school shootings, those kind of things were were very common and had a, a similar take in the sense of like you know it would kind of stop the world when it happened for that day. Um, but I don't know if I've ever experienced a moment in history like 9-11. No, so, you, no I, don't, I mean, for me, that's my most profound moment yeah. in our history. And I mean, you in your life have always, when you've gone to the airport, you've gone through all that yeah. security. Before that, I mean, it was so simple to go fly right. anywhere. And now it is, it's changed everything, just like you're saying. And, and for me in my lifetime, and just in this last year with COVID, this yeah. was the most... Um, the first thing since 9-11 that was kind of yeah, was made the world stop, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, COVID's kind of been the thing that globally has been recognized yes. as one of those moments right. that's kind of stopped us in our tracks. But 9-11 seems to be the one before that, that really shook people up. Right. right. And Wouldn't I think about it too, because 
what 9-11 is to you, it's kind of like what Vietnam mm. is to me because my parents would talk about that. And I'm yeah. like, I, I don't really have much to – I mean, I, that was right before I was born yeah. for the most part. And yeah. so I don't really understand that much, but I hear them talk about it a lot. So yeah. I think it's important that we teach next generations what has happened so that they understand yeah. and appreciate it more. Um, I'll, I'll never forget. I think it was junior year of high school. We had – Grown up learning about 9-11, every year we would talk about it. Um, we would read different books. We would read, you know, different witnesses, whatever it is. Uh, and then in the junior year of high school, we watched this documentary. Um, and I wish I knew the name. Uh, and those of you listening, pretty much every episode, we will have Jared and Devi in the room with us to fact check us uh, right. and to look things up that maybe we don't know. So maybe you guys can find this. Um, but it was a documentary about 9-11 from the perspective of the firefighters. And it was fascinating because they started filming this documentary um, just because New York's firefighters are like world renowned, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so they were filming this documentary for weeks. And in the middle of filming this documentary, 9-11 happens. So everything is on camera, like literally them arriving at the scene of 9-11. You can hear bodies falling in the Mm -hmm. room. Like it's, 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 like no words to describe Mm -hmm. it, but I remember watching that documentary and, and as a junior in high school, it really hit me how big that day was like, it just, it allowed you to, uh, somebody who didn't get to experience it firsthand or even on the news firsthand that day, it allowed me to get a little bit more sense of the atmosphere of that day and the way that people were reacting and seeing the fear and the confusion. Like that documentary for me will be the moment that I kind of like, Oh, you got it. Okay. Like this, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and so I don't know, I, I wish I remembered the name. I, it was, there's several out there that are, that are very good. Yeah. And I, you know, is that what it's called? It's Just nine eleven. Okay. okay. Well, there you right, go. There you go. Um, yeah. But it was yeah. it was pretty uh, amazing and heartbreaking all at the same oh, time. Yes. So, a uh, couple things, kind of working on this conversation of nine eleven. Number one, you kind of mentioned it about how uh, security and all of those things kind of changed um, when this all happened in our country. Do you think, as a country, as Americans, this made us more defensive or more skeptical or um, was this a moment that kind of shifted how oh, absolutely. we treat I, other yeah, people? Like, absolutely. What, what happened here? Absolutely. I, it's awful, but um, in the area where I lived, Northern Virginia, it was much more diverse than it is in central Ohio, even though we have diversity in Columbus. But I'm telling you, where I lived, I mean, um, a lot of times Caucasians were in the minority, um, so which was cool. But what happened was everybody – started being very, I don't know, skeptical, very judgmental of people that look Middle East, Middle Eastern. Wow. And I mean, and you couldn't help it at that moment, right after that happened, every, because of the news, because of the way it was talked about, it was, it put those people in a bad light and I felt sorry for them, you know, you know, at, at that point and everybody started uh, hating anybody that was Muslim, you know, mm-hmm. because that, that was, you know, the religion behind um, what happened. But, um, very, you know, extreme, obviously, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, uh, yeah, I hate hated that. And one thing that happened in the D.C. area that you may not be aware of here, there was a there was a random shooter that was going that was that was that October, November. There was somebody that was going into ga- they were like be at gas stations or in parking lots, and they randomly would snipe people out of their car mm-hmm. and then take off. There was, I think, it was close to thirty people. Jeez. And it was all over the Northern Virginia, Maryland, D.C. area. And so when we would be, this is right after 9-11, we would be getting gas at the Shell gas station. And I would be literally ducking 
mm-hmm. while I'm getting gas in case the the shooter was. The, and they had they finally found him, and they were had a shooting out of the back of a car out of a, like out of the trunk. It was awful. Um, but this guy killed like 27 people, I think mm-hmm. it was, and it was all different areas around. So that was right on top of that. And so, and there was a lot of rumors that that person was Middle Eastern. So everybody was skeptical yeah. of anybody that looked different, that that dressed like that. And mm. it's a shame. And I think I would say, you know, 20 years later, some of that's gotten better. Mm. But there's some people that still look at anybody that looks different like that and yeah. unfortunately judges them, puts them in that category. So you would say that time uh, with the shooter right after 9-11, was that like a time that you vividly remember? Maybe the first time being really fearful just to live. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, f- ironically, in my life too, I said when it happened at 9-11, I was a youth pastor. I was actually in the stage of leaving um, and the church was supporting it to plant a church. Mm. So literally that November, I was having my meetings with my church planning team of 20 people. So in the right after 9-11 in the shooter in DC area, I'm starting a church. And so I'm thinking, this is crazy. It's already crazy to start a church from scratch, but then to do that in a time where there's so much upheaval, I almost thought maybe I should postpone this for a little while. But we all lived more fearful for a long time. It was, took a while to feel normal again. Hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about fear. Okay. Um, you you mentioned something about your experience in ministry where after that 9-11 happened, people kind of packed the church and, mm-hmm. and the services that you guys had where you said it felt like Easter, which was just, right. you know, there's a bunch of people there that you don't know or people right. you haven't seen in a long time. What is it about fear or moments of fear or panic that draw some people to the church? Where does that come from? I think every one of us is born with that God shaped hole in us, you know, in our hearts, there's something that's missing until we find that. And I think people don't always know what that is. Mm. And there's a lot of things that can drive us to God. And fear is just one of mm-hmm. many things. Tragedy can drive us to God and, and uh, hurt in our lives can drive us to God, um, any type of trial. But fear is another one of those things that can drive us to God. Because when you feel like, I really don't have control, I can't really protect myself anymore. I need somebody, I need some higher power, and people start searching, start seeking. Mm-hmm. And so we think about churches being full after a time like 9-11. Some of those people are people that already know God, but just have been away from God. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's just people that are looking for answers and looking for hope, looking for assurance. So yeah, fear, fear is definitely one of those things that does drive us to God. And so what do you do with uh, maybe a faith that's driven by fear, and then life gets somewhat back to normal? Right, like, like, do those people just kind of fall away, or do you think that there has to be something that we can do uh, as Christians, as church leaders, to say, hey, uh, even when life isn't fearful, um, God is still there, right? Like, how do you how do you use that? That's a hard thing because uh, it's it really I think it goes back to discipleship and and people understanding what their faith is about, mm-hmm. and faith should not be based upon fear, obviously, mm-hmm. and it can't be based upon emotions. Emotions may drive us to God. But emotions are not what's going to keep people in church mm-hmm. and and keep people growing in their faith. And so, yeah, just like any other trial, you see it all the time in people's lives. People come to church when they're going through a hard time. Sometimes things catch on, they start growing in their faith, and they stick, and they really grow. And then sometimes, you know, things get back to normal, like mm-hmm. you said, and they get confident, and yeah. they feel like, man, I don't really need God as much in my life. Right. And they just kind of drift away. Um, I, I wasn't even planning on really going this direction here, but with this whole idea of fear, I think sometimes people weaponize fear, right? I think churches can do it sometimes to kind of say, you know, 
I don't know how to do it exactly, but be fearful of this thing. So you better come to church. You better do this. You better pray this prayer. Well, right? Yeah, even but, scaring people into accepting Christ, like right. by, yeah, yeah. by talking about you know hell, which hell's real. So mm-hmm. we should talk about it. But but my I guess the bigger point of where I'm going is: Do you think that to some degree our country is kind of weaponizing fear? I think the last couple of years I've heard this a lot of you know. Uh, so-and-so is using this political platform or doing this to motivate us by fear to vote this way, to do this, to uh, act this way, to... Do you think that that's a real problem? Do you think that... Yeah, I think both political parties do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they want you... They want to paint a picture that if you vote for the other guy or girl, you're going to suffer. The the world's going to fall apart. Our country's going to fall apart. Both sides say that. And you can weaponize it and you can take um, statistics, facts. You can take your version of them Mm -hmm. and make it look a certain way to paint a picture uh, that, yeah. So I think it's weaponized in that way. And I hope the church doesn't do that. I think we need to be a place of comfort, a place where people feel like they can trust that they're going to be told the truth, that we're going to stick to what the Bible says, what Jesus said, and not use things that are happening in the world. We should talk about them. Mm -hmm. We should talk about things that are happening and how the Bible is a part of that, how God is in all things. But we should also not use those things to try to manipulate people. And I see that. You see that. We Mm -hmm. see that happening all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do we do? Uh, What do you do as a Christ follower when somebody does try to use fear as a motivator, whether it is political, whether it is, um, you know, Christian-based or faith-based, like, what do you do with that? How do you respond when you maybe do kind of have that suspicion of, oh, this person is trying to make me feel fearful, or they want me to feel fearful about this certain type of thing? Um, I guess I'm speaking to the broader audience of Christ followers. What do we do in those moments when that person is trying to get us to kind of feel that that sense of, oh, I have to do this, or, oh, I have to vote this way, or, oh, I have to. Like, what do we, what do you do with that? It's funny, because yesterday I wore one of our new uh, shirts that we have in our church uh, merch, and it says, fear is a liar. Mm. And I think that's a good reminder for us. And I think so often um, it's when we're not grounded in God's word and really know what God says, what Jesus said, we can easily get manipulated by fear. Mm-hmm. And so when we feel that, we have to immediately kind of call a timeout in our mind and, and say, okay, wait a minute. They're saying this, but what does God say about this? Because mm-hmm. it's so easy to get caught up in what everybody else is saying. And you know, I hear it all the time, and people on the right or the left or wherever they are, whatever their platform is, wherever they're coming from, whatever their motivation is, um, if they're using fear against me to try to get me to do something, I need to step back and say, okay, mm-hmm. What does God say? What they're saying might actually be right. They might mm-hmm. be accurate, but I need to really balance it and compare it to what God's Word says. Yeah. So uh, I know we went on a little bit of a tangent there, but let's bring it back to this conversation of 9-11. Um, how do you see God in that? So if God works in all things, if we are truly going to create this platform where uh, Romans eight twenty eight is true and, and God moves and works in all things for the good of those who love him, uh, 9-11, we're coming up on 20 years of it, and how can God be seen in that? Well, of course, I mean, God didn't want that to happen. I don't believe, you know, that that God, you know, He gives us a free will, and those people who are terrorists can do what they want to do. Um, but what do we do with it afterwards? And how does God work in a situation like that? And I, I alluded to it already, but you've seen people that have created foundations to help uh, the families that lost loved ones. You've seen support for firefighters, for New York City police, and others that have gone through trauma 
the PTSD that they uh, experienced from those days. There's been so much that's been done, so many organizations that have been started. So there's good in that, that, mm-hmm. that people have done good out of it. You see people rallying together in their communities, um, people showing love to people that are they've never done that before, and people reaching across boundaries that may have been there in the past. And you've seen the church, like what I experienced that day, that Saturday, a couple of weeks after it happened, to see people praying with people that never would have prayed before. So a lot happened then, and I think a lot of it has continued through various foundations that began mm-hmm. out of that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, there's this whole idea that I think is really important for us to kind of dive into a little bit, and it's it's kind of this idea that if the God you follow, right, just kind of bows down to everything you do, is good with everything you do, kind of follows along with everything mm-hmm. you do, then it probably isn't the God of the Bible. Um and, and I'm just curious how you feel about a statement like that. I think a lot of people have a misinformed view of God. And a lot of it's about how you grew up. And I think, you know, as kids, we're just told Bible stories and we're told all the pretty cool stories like, you know, Noah and the Ark. And we're told the ones that, you know, David and Goliath. But there's, there's a lot of stuff that is a little harder to digest in the Bible. There's mm-hmm. war in the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's, there's ugliness that happened. And you need to understand all that there is in there. And um, as we get older and grow in our faith, that's important for us. But we can't put God in our box and say, mm-hmm. our, our God is to, is to make everything in our life really great. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's not how it works. Right. Like we've been saying, Romans eight twenty eight, God works in all things. All things aren't beautiful. And mm-hmm. um, scripture that I'm going to share this Sunday in the message is saying that everything is beautiful in its time. And I think that's one of the things we can look at um, with 9-11, it's like, it's not beautiful. What happened that day was ugly. Mm-hmm. But in its time, we've seen beauty come out of it. Mm-hmm. And and so we have to understand that our God is a God that allows, you know, there's sin in this world, and um, some things that happen, we don't understand why, but we do understand that God can take a bad situation and bring good out of it if mm-hmm. we allow him to. Yeah. It's hard. It's tough. It's not easy. But I, I, yeah, I just think that idea, um, and, and we've talked about this before with kind of the rise in the last couple of years of postmodernism, right? I'm going to live right. my truth, you live your truth, right. and as long as your truth doesn't step on my truth, we're good to go. Um, but God does not operate that way. I think there has to be some recalling back to the fact that there is a truth, right? right. And the truth is the Bible, right? right? And it is what God says, and it is His Word. And yeah. um, I just think that we've even if we don't realize it, I think even people in the church, even people who say that they're Christ followers have kind of fallen into this easy trap of, um, you know, I'll live my truth within the realm of what God wants. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I just think um, we've been in this series last almost yeah. month now right. called Back to Life. Right. Right. And, and that series has kind of been looking to revive different aspects of our life. Right. And I think there's a certain degree of our lives that have to be revived. Um, back to what God wants, right? Whether right. that be our routines or going back to church or right. just the things right. that we do with our time, with our money, with our relationships, right. whatever they may be. Right. Um, I just think that we struggle um, as Americans, as the big C global church to right. sometimes say, you know, when God's asked me to do this thing, yes, it might make me uncomfortable. Yes, it might make me angry. Yes, it might not be what I, how I was raised or how I was taught to see things. But God's ways are better than my ways, right? I'm not right. God, and I'm right. not in control. And if if I, I just expect God to bow down to everything I want and never correct me and never refine me and never, well, then I'm not following God. 
right? Like, no, no, not... no. We did a series, I don't know, it was a couple years ago called My Version of God, I believe. And, and we talked about how we want to create God in yeah. our image, but God created us in his image. Yeah. And we get it backwards. And it, and it is hard to watch sometimes. And the hard thing about being a pastor and student pastor like you are today it's, is that we have to give people the truth. Mm-hmm. the biblical truth, mm-hmm. not our version, not their version, not what they want to hear. And sometimes it's just messy. And even in these questions you're asking me, a lot of the things that we say that are our answers, they, they're just not clear cut, easy answers that mm-hmm. just are going to make that person feel good. Right. God allows hardship in our lives. And we've been experiencing that in the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in this series, we've been trying to encourage people to revive those areas of their lives that have been lost or mm-hmm. that have are on life support. Yeah, and so the first part of the series was relationships, and then we had rhythms, and then we had priorities, and this week is... Purposes. Purposes. And yeah. do you feel like so far the goal or the mission behind this series has been accomplished so far? That's a good question. You know, we um, when we sat and we worked on this series, and we worked on this one together as a staff and came up with the ideas and the theme and... You know, I, one of the burdens that we've had is that since the pandemic, you know, has started and we went, you know, virtual and then we come back and then we've opened up our building and we've seen, you know, what most churches have seen about mm-hmm. 80% of people have come back mm-hmm. and our burden is for those 80%, but also for the other 20%. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we were doing in this series is targeting that 20% and, you know, sending out postcards to everybody on our mailing list putting a banner up along the side of the road and uh, doing all that we can. Mm-hmm. And we've seen some people come back, but we're still concerned. You know, people are like, well, I just watch online. But I wonder, do you? I mean, our metrics measure that, and there are people watching online. But our concern is there's so many people that are still just in that phase where they got used to not having some of those things going on in their life mm-hmm. that are important for their spiritual growth. And I wonder if they're getting back or if they're going to come back at all. So I I don't know. It's hard to measure success on this yet. Do you believe that, that God not requires, but that God desires for us to be in church? I think a popular statement of the many popular statements about Christianity. One of them is, you know, you don't have to be a, a a Christian to go. You don't have to be a Christian to go to church, right? Or going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Yeah, Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. But, um, but do you believe that's true? Where's where's the the line of truth and the truth that we want to believe and the you know this is just convenient for us or this is what God says? Um, why is our goal for people to get back into the habit or the routine or the spiritual discipline of going to church? Yeah, we talked about that in the second week. Talking about rhythm, uh, one of the rhythms in our life of of worshiping with other believers. We referenced Hebrews chapter ten verse twenty five, where it says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And uh, we looked at the, you know, the first church and the book of Acts, they got together all the time. Um, so I, I think we know, everybody, everybody who's a, a believer knows that um, God did not design us to, to do life alone. The Christian life was not meant to live alone. So whether it's a small home church, whether it's a large gathering, uh, whether it's a small group, we're meant to be with other believers. That's how we grow. And it's pretty clear in scripture. So if people get into a habit of just watching a service or watching a preacher or listening to it, that can help their spiritual growth, but something's mm-hmm. going to be missing in their mm-hmm. life if they don't have other people in them to sharpen them, to help them. And and everybody that's ever experienced that knows that. And so um, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think it's convincing them that it's good for them. I think it's just, 
like any habit, it's hard to get back into a, a good habit, just like working out, just mm-hmm. like eating right, just like anything else that we do. And when it's not a requirement for your life, I think there's people that were dedicated and were consistent before the pandemic and it's provided a way for them not to be, mm-hmm. you know, there. And I think they just, you know, haven't gotten back. And, and yeah, do we push coming to church? Yeah, because we believe in it. We believe it mm-hmm. changes people's lives. You can grow in your faith and not be at church, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be, I think, growing in the way God wants you to be. That's going to be something missing mm-hmm. if you don't have that. I think there's something extremely important about a community and having yeah. a, a group of people that are, you know, similar interests and similar drives, right? That kind of pushes right. you to to dive even deeper into what Christ has for you. And, and I think that's why we encourage small groups so much. Like, right. I just think that that conversation's a lot bigger to where, like you said, we're not meant to do life alone. Um, I mean, if you look at the beginning of creation right. of, of man, right? Adam was there naming the animals that's and right. God said, it's not right for him to be by himself. Um, and so I think from the very beginning, this idea of doing life with other people, not just Oh, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? But like doing life with people and being surrounded by people, I think is, is extremely important. So this is kind of the last thing that I have for us today, but do you think we really need to be brought back to life? I mean, if that's the, the name of this series, our goal has kind of been to revive different aspects. Does this mean that we're dying or (laughs) we're dead or, I mean, where do we really need it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that each person's different, so I can't say every person needs it. But in a certain way, I think there's aspects of all of our lives. Mm -hmm. So like you mentioned, we talked about relationships and a big part of that was talking about this, like face-to-face communication is so much better than thumbs-to-thumbs. We Mm -hmm. talked about that. And you talked last week, you uh, spoke about priorities. And I think a lot of people have had misplaced priorities this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just, God's one of them, but not not the one out front. And uh, we're talking about purposes that God created us for. I, I think that you could say of all the people in our church and in any church, any believer, as we talk about these six different categories, we might not be dead in all of them, but there might be some areas that mm-hmm. are that are close to dead. Yeah. And I think um, that's the point, is that to be this fully devoted follower of Christ that I think we want to be, that we should want to be, that we need to look at all these different areas of our lives and say, okay, what about my passions? What about my perspectives? What about, you know, the purposes that I'm living for? Am I living for the right things? Or do I have the right rhythms in my life? Yeah. And I think um, all of us are at different places. So we're, uh, you know, as a church, uh, we just want to help people move closer to Christ. So I think, yes, there are some areas that need to be revived. I was thinking about that word revive. You know, when I was a kid, they had um, revival services. I mean, I'm sure as you went through school, you heard a little bit about that at, uh, in college and, um, not a thing today very often. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't expect if you're going to have a revival, it was typically like it was started on a Sunday and it'd be every night of the week, there would be church services and people mm-hmm. would pack out the service. Sometimes they were intense, but in those things you would see people, you know, lives being changed, people coming to Christ and you don't see those type of things happening right. like you used to. And so that's a concern, and I think people, more than anything, have gotten um, maybe a false confidence or just a lackadaisical uh, approach to their spiritual lives. And uh, I hope, we hope, we pray that this series and whatever comes next, whatever uh, God lays on our hearts to, to, to talk about, are things that will encourage people mm-hmm. to get back to where they need to be in their faith. Yeah, and I think you said it very well. I think that COVID in this last year and a half really has provided this very easy 
off off boarding ramp like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just gonna you know get off here and i'll get back on at some point and maybe that even you know we've been having this conversation about fear a little bit today maybe it was fear that kind of got them on that track right. but i think to some degree it's turned into um just kind of out of the habit just kind of not seeing the full need for it um but i would imagine and dare I say that those people who haven't come back to church or haven't experienced what it's like to be surrounded by, um, you know, people again, um, are missing something and they don't quite know what, or maybe they do know what, but they're just too scared to get back. I I think so. And I think you, um, we, we are very clear that we're not here to, if some people have, um, health situations, we're not here to judge that. Right. And so we understand that, but there are people that held out a lot longer than a lot of others did and they've come back and they were in tears, mm-hmm. like good tears, like, gosh, I miss this so much. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much I was missing. And there's still right. people that are holding out, waiting, and various reasons. But a lot of it has just gotten out of the habit. And I've heard people say, I just watch it online now. It's just easier. I can be in my pajamas. And mm-hmm. But they're missing out on the community that comes from being with other believers and seeing other people worshiping God. There's something about that. So, right. yeah, so we'll just keep praying, keep working. And, you know, it's a wonder a year from now, what it'll look like. Right. You know, when we get, you know, and every church uh, takes attendance, they keep track uh, how they're doing, you know, with that. And, and a lot, of, like I said, a lot of churches are about 80% of what they were two years ago. And so who knows what will be in, in next year, years to come. But right. it's not, it's not about numbers, it's about people. And that's mm-hmm. what the numbers represent. So we're just tracking that and we hope to, you know, see more and more people come back and then reach more people that are, that are seeking. Yeah. Right. And for all of the all of you listening or watching, um, whether you come to Sycamore Creek or you don't, or you've been a part of the series or you haven't, I think it's really important to reflect on your own life and ask that question: What in my heart? What in my life? What in the things that I used to do that I don't do now? Uh, what needs to be brought back to life? What is God calling me to pick back up or to restart or to revive or whatever we want to call it um, that I just haven't put on the back burner? I haven't really, you know, felt like I need to. Like, you know, what's that hole? What's that God-shaped hole that I have right. um, that I just need to bring back to life? I think that's a the great question to ask yourself, and I think that's an awesome place for us to end today. Yep. But this has been great. Uh, this is episode two of the In All Things podcast. Um, anything else you want to add today? Uh, no, no. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. We will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the In All Things podcast. Our challenge for you today is to send this episode to one person. Seriously, think of somebody right now that could use this conversation and send it to them. If you have any questions, feedback, or topic ideas, please send them to podcast at sycamorecreek.org. And make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sycamore Creek Church so that you can always see what's going on in our world. If this conversation helped you at all, make sure you share it, leave a review, and subscribe so that you don't miss out on a single episode. We love you, God loves you, and we'll see you next week on the In All Things podcast.